I was honored that Catherine and Jeff would take the time for an Orange Sox interview to talk about their experiences with their daughter Bella, who has Ellis Van Creveld syndrome, a very rare condition. Theirs is an interesting story because Bella received two different diagnoses in utero, conditions where the doctors advised them to abort Bella because the conditions were fatal. Had they followed that guidance, we wouldn't know Bella today, who is a delightful two-year-old. You see, both diagnoses were wrong. You can follow Catherine on Instagram and her blog at catinchina.com. Catherine and Jeff, thank you so very much for taking the time to meet with me. Uh, when did you find out that Bella had Ellis Van Creveld syndrome? Well, we didn't find out actually her um, specific diagnosis until a couple months after she was born. Um, but it was at our um, anatomy scan, which going into, we had one healthy child already, and of course the anatomy scan is you find out if it's a boy or a girl and you don't really think about the other things. But we had that scan at about 18 and a half weeks. And as we did the scan, I noticed that the person scanning kept going back to her long bones and her arms and her legs multiple times. And I could see the number on the screen um, was about two weeks behind. And so we could tell something was up and she had been really chatty before those measurements and really friendly. And all of a sudden she got really quiet and so, of course, like any parent, we asked, how, how significant is that two weeks? And she said, you know, your OB will call you and discuss the results with you. And she's very quiet the rest of the time. So we finished the scan and went right outside the office to a little patio table they had there and immediately pulled out our phones and Google because that's what we do these days. And we're looking up limb difference and um, there were... A lot of different scary possibilities that popped up and but my husband had to head back to work and I had to go pick up our older daughter and we knew we'd talk to the doctor later. But we were fortunate that one of our good friends is actually a radiologist and I texted him and said, will you look for my scan and will you read it? And so he gave me a call after he read it and said, you know, that is a significant lag in those bones. Probably not just that she's small. Um, there's probably something going on and he mentioned a few possibilities but the fact that there'd probably need to be um, further testing and so my husband and I were actually heading out the next day to go on a little baby moon trip last trip before having a second child in our home and we were about five minutes from our destination when we got the call from the OB and she said you know I want you to come in and have your blood drawn and we're going to do some testing and see if we can see anything just from the blood work so they were testing for the most common forms of trisomy at first. So when we got back from the trip, we did that and all of those results came back negative. And so we got sent to a bigger city about three hours away to go to a university hospital to have a more detailed ultrasound and to get further information about her. And went to that scan and both of us were really at peace going into it. We knew a range of possibilities and we had talked a lot about it and talked about the fact that we could be having a child who would be with us for the rest of our lives and we were just eager to find out what was going on with her. And so... And, and although we were open to a wide range of possibilities, I don't think either of us really expected an outcome where she wouldn't be with us. No. Um, so our that expectations wasn't. were, yeah, there might be some challenges, but nothing that we can't overcome and certainly nothing that would be fatal. Yeah. 
So we went to that scan and the tech was amazed by how active she was because she was just doing acrobatics throughout that whole scan. Got to the end of it and she said, you know, I'm going to go talk to you, neonatologist, and see if we need any more pictures. And she came back to the room after that discussion and once again her cheerfulness had disappeared and she told us, you know, I think we have a good idea of what's going on. You'll get to talk to the doctors a little bit later. And so we had an hour or two break and Jeff was convinced you know he said I think it's dwarfism I think I think she's gonna be a little person and during that break we talked about that and we talked about how you know we were okay with that you know we can this is something that we can face as a family and so the first person we met with after the scan was actually the genetic counselor I've learned that with the doctors usually their first question is what do you know about what's going on and they make you <laughs> go into it first, which always drives me nuts because I'm just like, get to the point, you're the expert. So Jeff dutifully told his guesses about what he thought was going on. And then her first sentence, which I'll never forget, was, your baby's not doing very well. To us, that was such a shock because we had just watched her, you know, dance across the screen and she was so full of life that to hear those words was just very jarring. She went on to explain that not only were her arms and her legs measuring um, shorter than average, but her thoracic cavity, so her rib cage, was much smaller as well. This had led them to a diagnosis of what's called thanatropic dysplasia, which is a form of dwarfism, but it's a lethal form of dwarfism. And she told us that there was a 99.9% chance that her rib cage would not grow much, if at all, beyond this point. And because of that, that when she was born, there wouldn't be sufficient lung tissue and she wouldn't be able to breathe. And so we would not have much time with um, with our daughter. And then kind of as an after afterthought, she mentioned, you know, I don't want you to see this in your charts later and wonder why we didn't tell you, but she also has a heart defect, but that's not gonna be what ends up being lethal for her. At that point, I think we were both a little stunned and we asked, you know, well, what does this mean going forward? What What is this gonna look like? And she responded to us, well, since this is terminal, um, most parents will choose to terminate the pregnancy. And we told her right then, we said, well, that's not going to be our choice. We're not going to terminate. And it really never was even an option we considered. But at that point, she said, okay, and she got some family history. And then we got to meet with the doctors and go through all the details again, where they talked about you know, the fact of her basically suffocating after she was born because of not having enough lung tissue. I asked one of the doctors, I said, well, with the kids that you've seen born with this diagnosis, how much time did they have? I was trying to picture that day when she would be born and, you know, are we going to have minutes with her? Are we going to have hours? And um, she told me, well, I can't personally tell you that because I've never seen a live birth with this diagnosis. And so that led me to the question, well, do they usually pass away before they're born? And she said, no, it's just that every single parent that we've given this diagnosis to has chosen to terminate, which was heartbreaking and a little shocking to hear that. But one of the head doctors came in soon after that and he talked to us as well. It became very clear 
very quickly that he didn't agree with our decision to continue. I don't think that was out of any ill will or anything like that, but he saw this baby and he knew there was nothing he could do to save this baby. And he saw us and he was trying to give us what he thought was the least painful path going forward. And he thought the least painful path going forward would just be to stop it at this point. And he even mentioned to me, he said, you know, think of your other daughter at home, who was about two at that time. And he said, think of how emotional you are and how emotional you're gonna be the next couple months and how hard that's gonna be on your daughter. And um, you need to think about her too in making this decision. And he told me, he looked at me and he said, I know today you think you're not gonna change your mind, but you're going to change your mind. We'll see you back here and you're gonna change your mind. And just so you know, you don't have a deadline because this is a lethal diagnosis we can terminate at any point. So you don't have to, by a certain week in your pregnancy, make the decision. He's like, but um, whenever you do make that decision, we'll be here and we'll be able to do it. And so it was a very, um, it was a very hopeless situation that was presented to us. But we went home and both of us agreed you know, there's there's no chance that we want to terminate this. We we know that we might not get much time with her, but we want to give her every chance she has. We didn't choose the day that she was conceived, and we refused to choose the day that she would die. And so we decided to continue, and that meant that we had to head back to the university hospital every month for checkups and an ultrasound. And so it was four weeks later we went back, and uh, they took the measurement of the thoracic cavity, and the thoracic cavity had grown four weeks worth of time in uh, in that month which you know what they had told us was it's not gonna grow at all and if it grows it's gonna be very insignificant so we're meeting with the doctors after that and I remember my husband looked at the doctor and he said does this mean there's hope and she said well I'll give you a sliver of hope. And so we knew that we knew good things were happening and we went back another month later and sure enough, her rib cage had grown once again, four weeks in a month's time. I mean, this rib cage that was lagging with her arms and legs all of a sudden like flipped around and shot off. And that was, that was the one thing that we were asking people to pray for with her. Because, you know, she had short arms and legs. I wasn't going to <laughs> determine the course of her life, but it was the rib cage that we needed to grow. And the name we chose for her was Arabella, which means, um, there's two meanings for the name, and it means striving in prayer, and it means beautiful altar. And so, we felt like we were giving giving this daughter up to up to God and saying, do with her as you will, and asking people to strive with us in prayer. And we were watching this rib cage grow unexplainably. So that second time that it grew that much, they told us, you know, I don't think our initial diagnosis is correct. We don't think it's TD anymore. Um, but that means we're searching for a new diagnosis and they had a conference with the doctors and everything and they just they weren't really sure what they were looking at because it wasn't fitting into any of the more common forms of dwarfism because there's lots of different varieties of dwarfism and she wasn't really checking the boxes for the ones they were looking at yet so we kept going back it kept growing and then we headed back about a month before she was born we were having an echo on her heart and the growth scan and it was at that appointment we sat down in the conference room the doctor said well I think we've figured it out I think we know what she has we're thinking that she has short rib polydactyly syndrome 
They said, you know, they thought they saw an extra finger and an extra toe on the ultrasound. And that and the shape of her rib cage seemed to point to that. At this point, they told us short rib polydactyly syndrome, once again, is 100% lethal. So we had moved away from the first lethal diagnosis. We had hope growing. We were thinking, you know, that our daughter has a chance. And then a month before she's born, we're given a second different lethal diagnosis, uh, which was, how did you feel with that one, honey? <laughs> well, the fact, the very fact that they had misdiagnosed the first go around gave us some confidence that they may have misdiagnosed the second. So while it was hard, it also, we had, no scientific basis for any hope at that point, and yet we had hope. And, um, and so we went into delivery day with, with some hope, recognizing that um, she, she would probably have challenges, that even if she did survive, uh, which is something they told us she probably wouldn't, even if she did, she'd probably have to go to the NICU, and almost definitely would have to go to the NICU, and probably stay at the NICU for quite some time. Yeah, going into delivery day, they, they told us, you know, there's three ways that this is going to possibly look on delivery day. And the first is she's born, we take her away uh, to assess her. It's clear that she is really struggling to breathe and intervention isn't going to help her, in which case we bring her right back to you and you get to spend as much time with her as possible. And that was what they presented as you know, the most likely of outcomes. And the second outcome was we take her away and have her assessed and we're not sure if assistance will help her. So we'll take her to the NICU, we'll try and give her some breathing assistance and try and assess whether or not you know, that's going to be successful in helping her. And if at any point it looks like this really isn't going to work, once again, we bring her to you and you get to spend time with her. And then the third and least likely outcome was she's born, she needs some assistance, but it looks like she can make a fight for her life. And so she stays in the NICU. And that's um, going into delivery day. That's the possible picture that they gave us. And so we went into delivery day and you know, my husband had researched burial plots here in Wenatchee and I had researched and found a foundation that you know sends burial gowns out of made out of old wedding dresses and so we were we had hope but we were also prepared for the possibility that we would not bring our daughter home so went into delivery day she was born on a Sunday around 12.30, screaming her head off, which I knew immediately was a really good sign that she could scream, because you have to have some lung tissue to be able to scream. Um, but I had also read enough stories of moms who had lost their babies that also screamed when they were born. So I knew it wasn't this all of a sudden guaranteed she's, she's gonna be okay. And sure enough, they took her right away for assessment, and my husband and a good friend who's a photographer left the room with her to go to the assessment room and I was left there by myself with all of the fun post-birth things happening to me and I waited a couple minutes and probably more like one minute and I, was, and I asked can someone please go check on my baby and tell me how she's doing and so they sent someone over to the assessment room and she came back a few minutes later and she said um, your daughter scored nines on her APGAR She's doing great, and they're gonna bring her back to you in a couple minutes. And they weren't bringing her back to die. 
They were bringing back a very pink, very much breathing, beautiful baby girl. The next thing I asked was, how many fingers and toes does she have? Which is, you know, the perpetual joke when you have a child, ask about number of fingers and toes. But since that was the thing that pointed to this one diagnosis, I was actually quite curious how many fingers and toes she had. She said, oh, I'm not sure. You're going to have to look when she gets here. And so sure enough, she had six fingers, but only five toes. So she was brought back to us within, you know, five minutes, 10 minutes being in the assessment room and she didn't leave us the rest of the time we were there. She never went to the NICU. She was on the regular maternity ward. Three days later, we headed home with her with no oxygen, no monitoring technology, but a miraculously breathing baby girl, which we had to constantly pinch ourselves that that was what was actually happening. But then it was about a month or two after she was born that we got to meet with a geneticist and they said that they were now quite confident in their diagnosis of Ellis Van Crevel, which turns out is a subset of short rib polydactyly syndrome. Um, are there four? So there's five different kinds, only two are compatible life. Alice Van Creveld, you have the, the highest probability of, of, um, of living. And so I think it's somewhere between 30 to 50% fatal but, um, for Alice Van Creveld, but it's much better odds than the other alternatives. And I think it's such, a, it's such a wide range of lethality because there's so few cases in the world that they don't have a precise number. As I understand, there's only a few hundred maybe cases of, of Ellis Van Creveld, so it's worldwide. It's quite rare. <laughs> yeah. So um, Catherine has to carry the gene, and I have to carry the gene. It's very unlikely for either of us to carry the gene, and for us to manif for it to manifest itself, we both have to contribute. <laughs> any any family history or anything? no? No, it it's never it's never shown itself in our family, which shows you the rarity of actually matching up the two. Um, but it's auto-recessive, so if you do both carry it, you have a one in four chance. So so that leads us into, so we actually, Catherine is pregnant again with our third child, and we have found out that she likewise has uh, Alice Van Creveld. And they're sure about this diagnosis? They're sure about <laughs> this diagnosis, yes. It being auto-recessive and she has the six fingers, she has okay. the heart defect that is very similar to her sister's. And really, when we went into our anatomy scan uh, with Shiloh, our third daughter, as soon as we saw the long bone measurement in the arm pop up on the screen, we knew, you know, we knew we had another baby with Ellis Van Crevel. Like, okay, we're gonna do this again. This is yet another journey, although in this, this case, we kind of already knew what that journey looked like. And but we knew when we chose to get pregnant again that there was that, there was that possibility. And we were, we were okay with that. I mean, when we yeah. talked to doctors after Bella was born, they wanted to make it really clear to us that, you know, this is auto-recessive, you have a good chance of having another child with this, there's things you can do where, you know, you can do artificial insemination and then we can test the egg and we can see if the baby has Ellis Van Creveld and not implant those who have it. And neither of us wanted to go that route. If you look at Bella, yeah, you, you would, would never trade Bella for anything. I mean, she's she's great. Yeah, she screams at night, which is kind of annoying. <laughs> <She's> quiet. <laughs> she now. does the annoying things that that uh, almost two year olds do. But she is wonderful. Uh, we wouldn't trade her for anything. She's a joy and a delight, and just fun to watch her and her older sister interact. And so to to try to avoid yeah. what she has just isn't something that we would do, even knowing even knowing the risks and. 
So with this baby, we don't know. We don't know what delivery day is gonna look like. We don't know what the months following are gonna look like. Um, We're gonna have heart surgery with Bella here shortly after. <laughs> shortly after Shiloh, Shiloh comes. Shiloh gives birth here in the fall. So there's a number of different variables. But you know, the reality is that, you know, if he had told us when we're going into um, Bella, before we even had that first ultrasound, that these are the challenges you're gonna have and this is their diagnosis. We probably would have been very frightened about what that might look like for our family. Not that we wouldn't choose that, but, but we, you know, the, it obviously, it presents uh, hurdles. We've had, we've had so much fun and, and we don't look at them as hurdles necessarily. We look at them as just life. It's a, it's a journey and, and those are just the things you have to deal with. And I think once you face the you're told that this child isn't going to live, then everything else pales in comparison. So whereas before before we were pregnant with Arabella to find out our child had a significant heart defect that requires open heart surgery, maybe months after birth or within a couple years after birth, that would have probably been something that terrified me. Whereas with Shiloh, when they told us she had a heart defect, the only thing I really cared about was, is it one that can be repaired? I mean, that's and it wasn't even that scary to face it because the child has life and that's that's really all that matters and the other things you figure out as you go you don't need to figure them out all on day one yeah. you just figure them out over time so you so bella had essentially two fatal diagnoses before she was born mm -hmm. and and you were strongly encouraged to to end the pregnancy because for various reasons that the doctor gave you. And, and have you ever thought about what if you would have made a different decision? You know, I have thought about if we had made a different decision and then chose to get, because TD, the first diagnosis they gave us is not autoresessive. It's a random genetic mutation. And so we likely would have tried to get pregnant again. And then if we got pregnant again and the same sorts of things showed up, we'd probably start to question, well, is this really a random genetic or is there something else going on? And if we had then continued with that pregnancy and that child had lived, I can't even imagine what we would have felt like knowing, well, if we'd given that child a chance, she could have made it. And we've been, we're blessed at a time where we have ultrasounds, a lot of access to information, but ultimately we don't know. They're just guesses. You don't want those guesses to get in the way of, of life. Sure. Tell me about the impact that, that Bella's had on your, your immediate family or, and friends. I mean, she's obviously very delightful, as I've, <laughs> I've met her, as, as is your other daughter, but uh, I'm sure that your family grieved with you during the, the dark diagnoses, if you will, and, and then uh, when she was born so robust, uh, were cheering. Uh, but so tell me a little bit about that. What impact has she had on your Well, on your she's family? had, I mean, she's had a huge impact on actually a huge number of people. When, after we received that initial diagnosis, um, I started blogging about her. I had had a blog from when I lived in China, and so I picked that back up and started telling her story, mainly because it was so hard to tell it again and again to every person. And so I wanted one place that people could go and read updates about her, so I wouldn't have to go through the emotions of saying things over and over again. But that blog ended up getting shared far and wide and so Bella's story went far and wide of people just being amazed at watching what happened that really defied expectations and I think the the day she was born there was something like 100,000 hits on oh my 
on the blog that day. And so we could feel, you know, this great multitude of people who were making her name true of striving in prayer and praying for her and then rejoicing at the fact that she lived. And in fact, our, our local newspaper here even did, did a story on her. It was front page story on this baby who defied the odds, which we just saw as an awesome opportunity to do what Orange Socks is doing, which is simply spread awareness that things can end differently than what's expected, and we don't know with certainty, so give life a chance. But our family is, of course, super encouraged by it. And then she is just, there's something special about Bella where wherever we go, people are drawn to her. And it's something I just, you don't, you don't see that often, but we are constantly getting stopped because she has this way that she locks eye contact with people and waves at them and engages with them. And you watch her just spread joy. It was funny, there's one day I was at the grocery store and one of the people who worked in the floral department pulled me aside and she said, you know, I watch you guys come in every single week and I watch how the faces of people around you change every single week when they see you. And she just has that magnetic quality to her. And we're starting to get to the point where people realize, you know, she's really small for how she's acting at first, you know. they. They would think that she's just an average baby, but now we're trying to get this. Well, she's really small, and so we get to say, you know, she has she has a form of dwarfism, and they actually didn't think she was going to make it, but she's thriving. So just the opportunity to kind of spread her story wherever we go is really, really cool. That's great. So, Jeff, if I were to come to you, mm-hmm. just having received a diagnosis that, that I had a child with Ellis Van Creveld syndrome, what advice would you give me? Enjoy it. Soak it up. <laughs> and, and recognize that it is going to come with some challenges, for sure. So um, get that support network around you. But it, it really is a joy. Bella's a joy. And, you know, at this point, we don't even see Bella as any different than, say, her older sister. And at times, I, I tend to forget. You know, she, she acts as any child her age would act. It's only when she gets a really bad cold and then we recognize and then she gets into a state where she has pneumonia-like symptoms. Like, wait, you know, her lungs and her heart, they're not like everybody else's, but it's its easy to forget because she is a joy and, and she really is like every other child. And she has a heart issue that's going to be worked on. Uh, what specifically is it about her heart that they need to repair? So she has, when she was first born, she had both an ASD and a VSD, so two holes in her heart, which when you're talking about holes in your heart, VSDs are more significant, and hers was very small, and it actually has closed itself on its own. Um, But her ASD, so the hole between the wall and the two chambers of her atrium is quite large, and so... It's actually, she almost has no wall. So it's what they call a common atrium if you don't have a wall. Hers isn't quite. And hers is not quite a common atrium, but it's very close. So yeah, so, but Shiloh, our second daughter, hers is a complete common atrium. She has absolutely no atrial wall. So it's just one. Three chambers. Three chambers, basically. basically. Um, And in addition to that, their valves that are going from the atriums to the ventricles are different than the normal heart anatomy. So it's almost like they have a singular valve, but how the cardiologist has explained it to us is there's some banding of tissue in the middle of it that allows those valves to kind of operate separately, um, which is probably why Bella has been able to do so well, you know, up to the age of two. But the valves as well will get repaired. Um, And they think they can do 
mm -hmm. pretty good with that. Yeah, so they think awesome. that she'll need, you know, she'll need open heart surgery, and it's a significant open heart surgery, but it's one that they think has a very high likelihood of success, and she probably won't need another surgery after that. That's great. So she's slated to have heart surgery this October, dependent somewhat on how Shiloh is doing. If Shiloh's really struggling, then we'll probably postpone it. Um, but they'd like to get her in before another cold and flu season, just because yeah. those tend to hit her hard. Well, Catherine, you get the final word. Okay. What final word would you want to give? <laughs> <laughs> what final word? Give your baby a chance. We wouldn't trade what we have been through for eight, 10 healthy babies. We think we are some of the most blessed people to have been on the road that we have been on. And it can be really scary and it can be really stressful. I know that right now as I'm about three weeks away from giving birth and really not knowing what the outcome is gonna be there. But surround yourself with good community and sit back and watch what the Lord might do. And it can be pretty incredible to see. It'll give you a perspective on life that you wouldn't want to trade for anything else. Wonderful. You guys are awesome. <laughs> Thank you for taking the time to meet with me and to tell your story. It's very inspirational. Thank you. Thank you.